Right now, why don't we start talking gardening? By the way, that fourth line is taken now with James, but uh, Joyce is at the top of the list this morning. Good morning, Joyce. Good morning, Bob. Um, last week when we were talking, I asked you about allocation. I was talking about the African mask, right. but I described it as green and white, and you were apparently thinking of, I mean, there must be a, another allocation that's green and white that you were thinking about because you said it was one of the most beautiful plants. And, but we were busy at that time, <laughs> but I wanted to know what that was. Well, there are there are many, many alocasias or upright elephant ears, as they call them. Uh, there are some green and white variegated ones. There are some green ones with uh, yellow veins the african mask i would describe rather that it's just it's so dark it's almost a black green and then has the uh variegation in the veins and uh the face of it as well uh it is as i think we talked last week one of the least cold hardy so it is very definitely a house plant at least for the winter months some of the others that are you know simply a white variegation in your standard green alocasia they're pretty darn cold hardy and they'll take temperatures down into the 20s they may freeze back but they come right back out but the african mask uh again at least all the ones that i have seen are are more of a they're they're so dark they're just almost a black purple in color and so i i was not really thinking that as a green leaf i was thinking of that as um you know just a, a more highly colored leaf shall we say yeah, well, no, I was talking about the other. I assumed it was some kind of an elephant ear, but I've never seen a variegated elephant ear type plant. Do you have those occasionally? Or? We occasionally get them. They are very hard to come by. We have a, a good friend who's a uh, landscaper and just all-around great guy that actually brought Wendy one. He had a big one that he had divided, and uh, he favored her with a piece of his. So um, it's one of those things It's difficult to propagate because it's a uh, virus-induced variegation, which means they can't really reproduce it through uh, clonal propagation, which would give us thousands of plants. Uh, They just, or at least they haven't figured out how to do that efficiently yet. So it's a matter of just having a big enough plant that it starts putting offshoots on that you can separate off and grow up separately. So next time we are fortunate to come across uh, some of them, I will definitely set one aside for you, but they're, they're pretty hard to come by. Uh, you'll sometimes see them on the internet, but they ask exorbitantly high prices for them. And I know some people that have been pretty disappointed in what they got off the internet. So this one's just going to require a little patience. Uh, I'm sure we'll find a source for some more of them. They, of course, are not the big old standard elephant ear that's the rounder ball the colocasia which is definitely yeah, the that's what i have yeah and those are those are extremely cold hardy and uh you know they grow in dallas and even north of dallas but the alocasias that they call the upright elephant ears uh are not nearly as cold hardy in any event and uh some of them are just downright tropical by nature so it's just a different species and about all they have in common is they, they make a giant leaf that i guess to some people looks like the ear of an elephant so uh two entirely different plants well thank you but that was just i i wanted to pursue that a little bit further because yeah. i didn't know what you were talking about well uh i think wendy almost certainly has a picture of the one that steve brought her last week so uh next time you're in the nursery ask her to show you a picture of it or um i'll track her down and we'll do that because they are very beautiful they are worth having and they are fairly uncommon
Yeah, sounds like it. And the next one is uh, Tillandsia. Now, uh, I'm talking about the little bitty ones like you sell on the inside Mm -hmm. of of, of there. Uh, I know I'm certainly not going to leave them out, but usually when I keep buying them, I lose them over the winter. I guess they get too dry in the house. Probably so. But how much how much can they take being in the 40s and that kind of stuff? Outside? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, of course, the thing that we call ball moss in the hill country yeah. is a tillandsia, what they call Spanish moss over in Louisiana. Uh, that is a tillandsia. Most all of the tillandsias are moderately cold hardy. Uh, but you're exactly right. So many of them in nature live in the cloud forests down in Mexico and Central America and even northern South America, where even though it doesn't rain real often, those gray scales on the leaves of the Tillandsia are actually able to comb water out of the mists and the, you know, low-hanging clouds that tend to move through the forest in that area, or so I've been told. I've never visited that far south. But um, so, yeah, in indoors... Uh, I would put a mist bottle next to them, and at a very minimum, I would mist them every morning and every evening. Okay. See, I haven't done that enough. What I've done outside is I've taken broken off pieces of oak bark, mm-hmm. and then I use the ball moss and kind of put it in and tuck these into the <laughs> in between the ball moss, let that kind of support it, and, and it, it works well. Oh, it does, y'all. And I I would point out for your benefit and anybody else thinking about getting them that there are hundreds of species of Tillandsia out there. And, yes, we do offer pretty good selection, maybe even 20, 30, 40 different species. But everything we sell at Shades of Green is greenhouse grown in California. We do not believe in plundering the forest so to speak which is what some people do to collect these things but uh just want you and everybody else to know that everything that we offer has not been stripped from a jungle has been grown in a greenhouse for the purpose of uh, offering it to, to people who appreciate such unusual things and all those little different ones in there would have a similar situation as far as uh, um cold and and misting and that kind of thing. It's hard to paint with such a broad brush, but I would say at least 90-95% of them will have a similar cold hardiness. Okay, well I don't get too exotic, so it probably would fit into that. Oh, there's some fun ones. I love the little one they... uh, call i believe Tillandsia medusi or medusioides or something like that they call the the dancing bulb that just has like little arms coming out all over it and kind of a bulb-like growth uh there there's some uh you know bromeliads are another one of those things you can really get hooked on just like orchids and african violets and succulents uh there there's sure a lot of interesting things out there yes and they get pretty large some of them too. they, they certainly do i've had one for many years that is my my friend, when she gave it to me many years ago, it's not the same plant, of course, but uh, called it a blue vase. Does that mm-hmm. ring any? Okay. It does uh, it? Does it have sort of pink and then has blue flowers? Yes. That's yes. Tillandsia cyanea, C-Y-A-N-E-A. And I leave those out most of the time, mm-hmm. but, of course, again, if it gets to freezing or if it's continuously cold or wet or something, right. I'll bring them in. Well, That's you're obviously doing it right okay. if you've had them that long. Okay, and the last one I want to talk, well, a lot of them, but I've finally done what you said. I got me a little spiral notebook <laughs> and started writing things down. Uh, Syngonium. I love those plants, and uh, I apparently they're fairly cold-hardy because I had three that were similar. So I left one out, put one on the porch, and brought one in. And the one that I left out threw in whatever you call this last little cold snap mm-hmm. type thing. 
anything. It didn't look like it was phased. So I, I know they can't take freezing because right. I've lost them or continuous wet. Right. But they must be fairly hardy out there. They are. They are. And uh, they actually go by two names, Syngonium. Sometimes if someone doesn't find it under that name, look for it under the name of Nephthitis, N-E-P-T-H. And uh, so far as I can tell, they're... It's just two different generic names for the same plants, but wide variety of them, cold hardy down into the 40s, but when yeah. the 30s threaten, I'd sure get them inside. Yeah, okay. I don't know whether you recall, but you all sold a tiny-leafed one, a tiny mm-hmm. green that was just like a ball in a five-inch. There were so many. It's just packed in. How do they get them that terribly concentrated i mean there are hundreds of leaves on that little thing it's 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 a long answer that involves the means in which they propagate them through clonal propagation and they just leave several of the little um oh gosh what would even call those uh I'll draw you a picture that explains it a lot better next time you're in the nursery. Okay. No, we needn't go into that, but I just wondered because uh, sometime back you had had a smaller version of that Mm -hmm. in a smaller pot, and I tried dividing it, and I didn't do very well. Well, yeah. I I, I took 20 minutes to explain that in our propagation seminar a couple of weeks ago. So fascinating story. I look forward to telling you all about it next time we were fortunate enough to see you. Okay, and the last quickie is an angel wing, the small angel wing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been treating them about the same. Leave them on the porch down into the 40s, bring yeah. them in. If, okay. Virtually all the angel wings will be very happy with that. The Rex begonias will not. The Rex want to come in sooner, but your angel wing types are cold-hardy down to the point of frost. Okay, very good. Well, lots of hugs and pets to your little fuzzy family, and thank you very much. And thank you. It's always good to talk to you, Joyce. Bye-bye. <laughs> Goodbye. All right, let's get right on back to the phone call. It's going to be Diane, Shirley, James, and Maggie in that order. Good morning, Diane. Good morning, Bob. How are you doing today? Just a very beautiful day out there, and uh, I'm sure I'm going to miss my evening daylight tonight, but uh, I sure did enjoy that extra hour in bed this morning. Yes, sir. Okay, so I have two fig questions. First, do the figs grow on old wood or new wood or both both and it depends on the variety figs are going to produce actually on both and uh that's why when you prune if you can uh you know just take some of the larger limbs out entirely rather than just going through and pruning back everything um you'll you'll get a much better crop even if you do prune heavily most varieties you will get some figs on the new wood that comes out in the spring but i would say at least half of the figs that are normally produced and in some varieties is virtually all of them are on old wood so it's always better to uh thin to prune rather than shear and uh, that way you'll get good production even when you do need to do a substantial reduction in size, which is very common on fig trees. Okay, so the most of the leaves, well, like 99.5%, um, they froze. They're, you know, they're all frostbitten. Mm-hmm. Right. And I was one, I still have figs, though. Sure. So if I keep it watered real good, will those ripen if the 
temperatures get in the 70s during the day? They should because it it you know the the foliage will freeze uh, before the figs themselves. Now, if it had gotten to 20 degrees, if we'd had a prolonged freeze and those free those figs had been damaged, then no, they wouldn't develop well. But unless you got really severely cold, I think probably the foliage damage partly cold, partly cold wind. Um, which is very common on a lot of plants uh, this last week. But uh, I doubt that you got too far below freezing, and I doubt that you stayed there for very long. So I think that there is a good chance that your figs will go ahead and ripen if we go back to warm weather. The problem is, of course, that the to ripen well, you know, you need a lot of photosynthesis taking place in all those leaves those leaves are no longer there so your your fruit is most likely not going to grow a lot larger in size because the energy just simply isn't there to support it the little energy factory uh, has gone away now so uh, but you should get some delicious if somewhat smaller figs if we go back to uh four to six weeks of warmer weather yeah, I'm shocked at how many figs are left on this tree. It's, there's a lot. So I'll take small ones. That's good. Okay. Um, so one quick question. The croton, how how cool at night? Because I hate to leave it in the garage. Right. All, you know, I want to bring it back out. But sure. if I have to bring it in in the evening, what's my low temperature tolerance? If, any, if they predict uh, low 40s, I would bring it in. It will actually be okay down to frost. But the weathermen never apologize for being 10 degrees off, and they frequently are 10 degrees off. So anytime they're predicting 42 or lower, I would bring them, uh, I would put them in a warmer place. And uh, you can put them back out fairly early in the day. Again, if it is real windy and cold, then I probably would bring them in sooner because uh, especially the newer growth is real susceptible to cool drying, cold drying winds. Um, Crotons, the nice thing about it is uh, so many of the pigments that give us the beautiful colors in the leaves are greatly enhanced with cooler weather. So you just have to be sure they don't freeze. And if you can avoid that, you'll have some of the best color you have, especially the ones that have colors that tend toward the pink to purple shades because those are anthocyanins, which really seem to be amplified with a little bit of cool weather. Awesome. Okay. And um, one more thing on the fig. I should still keep watering it a lot. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, realize it's not transpiring nearly as much moisture since the leaves aren't there. So you probably won't need to water it as often. But when you do water it, you, of course, should soak it very thoroughly. Okay. Thank you so much, Bob. And thank you for everything you do for us. Well, and thank you for all you do for us. We're already looking forward to next spring, Diane. March 7th. (laughs) That's on the calendar. And we'll see you before then, for sure. And you guys have a great weekend. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you. Of course, that's our uh, GMO expert, probably the best in the state of Texas and probably even wider area than that, and just a delightful person and a great speaker. And she'll be giving a talk on the latest updates on all the stuff going on with genetic modification. And as you heard her say, that's coming up in March of next year. So we'll sure look forward to seeing you there. Uh, Shirley's next. Good morning, Shirley. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, on this beautiful day. I thought I had two questions, but since you were talking about figs, I have three questions. <laughs> Happens uh, every time. We have two 
very large fig trees uh-huh. that are at least over 20 years old or older, and okay. they have gotten way out of control. <laughs> then you can imagine can what my 80-year-old fig tree looks like. <laughs> can we cut these back severely? I would not do it at this time of year. Yes, you can cut them back pretty severely. Every now and then we get a hard enough freeze that it actually freezes them to the ground. Fortunately, not often. But you don't want to cut this time of year because when you prune, it stimulates new growth, which is not cold hardy. You don't want to have it trying to put out a bunch of new wood and then suddenly have a really hard freeze that just destroys that. So put late February, early March on your calendar. And at that time, uh, you're going to lose some of your fig crop for next spring but late february early march you cut it back as far as you want to it'll be right back out very quickly good next question we have some very old oak trees i'm talking over 100 years old probably okay and in the last month on two different trees large limbs have broken Mm -hmm. and they're not rotted in the interior they just for some reason broke off and this is live oaks yes yes we've you know live oaks are strong durable trees but when we get winds especially some of these winds that come through with the fronts that are not necessarily straight line winds but i'm seeing lots of limbs uh down on my oak trees in fact you look up and you see a, a big brown patch where a limb has snapped uh, it's not the same thing with elm trees. With pecan trees, we look at a very dangerous thing called uh, summer limb drop syndrome, where whole limbs just tend to break and fall down uh, for reasons that are not well understood that's not what's happening with your live oaks what you're looking at is just a little bit of uh storm damage from you know they we've had wind gusts from 30 to 50 miles an hour depending on where you are it in an ideal world if you could cut those breaks and then paint the wounds that would be great but in a real practical world not going to happen at this point um you just keep your fingers crossed that hopefully with the chillier weather we don't have a lot of little beetles around that could be spreading oak wilt but uh, what you're looking at is just south texas thunderstorms and um <laughs> we we haven't and never will find a way to prevent those right okay is this the time of year to start planting trees? Like I want to plant some live oak trees, and I also have a loquat tree that needs to be transplanted. Sure. It, uh, you know, you can plant trees almost any time, but if I had to pick the two very best months of the year for setting out trees, it would be October, November. So you're right in the heart of the best tree planting season. As far as transplanting your existing uh, loquat, you can do that pretty much any time now through February. But as far as setting out new trees, there is no better time than the present, except for 10 years ago, and that's the best time. Well, I thank you. I tell you, I don't know what I'd do without you answering all my questions. It's what I am here for, and uh, it keeps me out of trouble on Saturday and Sunday morning, Shirley. So (laughs) you get out and have a great day. (laughs) Okay, thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Bye. All right, back to gardening, back to the phone lines, and it's our pleasure to talk with her friend James. Good morning, James. Good morning, sir. How are you doing? I'm doing well, sir. How about yourself? Fine. I think it's a good morning. I think uh, every morning is a good morning. Some are just better than others. 
All right. I got some uh, oak trees I planted from acorns, and they're about five foot tall. Well, I have one that in the limbs, they have little marble size, uh, like uh, in the limb itself, and I don't know mm-hmm. what that is. Have you ever heard of that? Yeah, there are two or three things. There are some little insects that make a – it's a kind of a gall, and then there's also some uh, – uh, they're little bacterial galls, and they just make little, little knots all over the limbs. The trees right. tend to grow out of it. Uh, it's much more common. You see it on young trees, and you see it on older trees that are stressed. But as long as these trees, you know, as long as you have that root flare exposed, uh, as long as you're giving them what they need in the way of water and fertilizer and mulch, um, even that tree that has these little galls on it will grow out of it, and it's not going to leave any lingering weakness or any problem in the tree. But without seeing it, if you see a little hole appear in it, it was probably a little insect in there that caused that gall. If it just stays sort of a rough, gnarly area on the tree, it's probably a bacterial gall. And uh, in both cases, not dangerous to the tree and a little good care. Little good care. Think of it as a childhood disease of this this tree okay bob I, I this tree's about five years old yeah. so uh i just put it in the ground at the beginning of the last summer i know that wasn't the time to do it but oh, as long as you can um, keep it watered there's nothing wrong with that but check and be certain that you know soil hasn't washed in around it you you should see those first big roots right up on the surface of the soil where they flare out from the trunk and sometimes when we plant they tend to sink a little bit sometimes you know stuff uh, soil washes in around them i've got two elms in my front yard that i need to go through and pull the soil back away from seems like every couple of years i have to go back in and expose that root flare but it's very important with the trees and it's the best thing you can do a tree we don't uh they don't have an immune system in the sense that animals have an immune system, but uh, they have something they call the arborist, I believe it's called SIR, systemic induced response, that trees actually, healthy trees have a way of building a resistance to problems like this. And like I say, young trees, and in an oak tree, that's any tree less than probably 15 years old, or trees that are stressed from being buried too deeply or having drought stress or, you know, herbicide damage, things like that. Um, if the trees are free of those stresses, they'll grow right beyond a problem like this, and it's really nothing to be too concerned about. But I would check that root flare. All right, sir. I appreciate your help. You have a good one. You do the same, James. Good to hear from you. Thank you, sir. Yes, sir. All right. All right. Well, that wasn't the James I thought it was, but we obviously have more than one James in Guadalupe County and another very pleasant gentleman to talk to. Top of the board is Maggie. Good morning, Maggie. Hi, Bob. How are you? I'm well this morning. How about you? Uh, I'm good, but um, I have a question. I don't know if I did good or bad. You go. I have a okay. corn plant. Uh huh. You know what the corn plant is? The Dr- one with a big stalk, and Dr- then it puts out like. Yeah, Dracaena fragrance, Massangiana in botanical terms, but you and I will just call it a corn plant. Okay. And he had a big old trunk. It was like um, three feet in diameter. I mean, three inches in diameter, and mm-hmm. it was five feet tall. Okay. But it had no green on it. It was just the stalk. Uh-huh. So, and it was putting out two little pups from right under the ground level. The okay. pups are like maybe like uh, a foot tall already. Okay. 
So in my uneducated mind, I cut off three feet of that, and it was so hard to cut. It、yep. was really, really hard wood. Uh huh. So I don't know if that is dead wood、yes. or, or if I、yes. could root that or what. No, it's dead wood. And let me tell you about that plant, Maggie.、Um, that plant was originally. Somewhere in a tropical area, and it was probably thirty, thirty-five, maybe even forty feet tall. Your plant propagator cut that plant down and cut that those canes into sections, anywhere from one to four feet long each, and then they rooted. Those sections of cane and planted them up, and you know, encouraged them to spread out and put new growth up on the top.、Uh, makes for an interesting plant, but it makes for a crappy root system. It makes for a very, very weak root system for the first three or four years because here you've got this cane, as you so accurately described, probably three inches in diameter, and it's got just a handful of little roots coming out of the bottom. To support the growth that comes out on the top. Now, many times in shipping, many times in handling,、um, that cane gets kind of rocked back and forth in the pot, and it ends up breaking those little roots, and the plant goes into a lot of shock. And many times, what you have seen happens: the top part of the cane just dies out. But the lower part of the cane still has enough life in it that it starts putting out these little side shoots. They're going to come up and grow. They're going to grow very rapidly, and that's actually going to be, in effect, a lot more stable, a lot healthier plant than it originally was.、Uh, wherever you got it, or whoever you got it from, at some point it had some foliage up on top sprouting out. But just from the way they propagate these things, the way they ship them, the way they handle them. Once they start to grow out, it's very common for them to get kind of rocked around in the top to break the roots on them. And when that happens, the top dies. In fact, the whole cane dies down pretty close to ground level. But if you're fortunate as you are, there's some life down in the lower part of that stem that is now going to come out and make a beautiful plant for you. So all you did was cut off dead wood off the top of it. You didn't harm a thing. Your plant should grow very nicely for you now. But unfortunately, that Piece that you cut off has no value whatsoever. I don't even think it make good firewood. So pitch it out in the compost pile. Okay, but I thought if it was dead, it would be like mushy. Oh no, no. It's、uh, if an oak tree dies, does it get mushy? I don't know. <laughs> no, it it stays that that wood is sometimes harder when it's dead than when it's alive. That's what we use for firewood in the fireplace. And you can think of this type of dracaena, this type of corn plant, as the common name is. Think of that as a jungle tree, and that. That cane is pretty hard wood,、uh, just really, as really a yeah.、Right. It's just like a dead elm tree or a dead oak tree. Eventually, it rots, but sometimes when it first dies, it's harder dead than it was alive. Wow! And so, should I try to cut those those other two feet that I left down there with the pups?、Or? I wouldn't worry about it. I think you do more harm than good because trying to cut it, you might rock that. Cane back and forth to the point that oh, you. Oh, I rocked it a lot this well, morning. Well, let's hope you didn't damage the roots too much. We'll watch your new growth and see how it looks, and that'll tell us. So,、uh, yeah, it's.、Um Hopefully it will come and grow out, but pretty soon those two new shoots that are coming up are going to be big and leafy, and you're not even going to see that two feet of dead cane still sticking up. Okay. 
Now I have another one just like it, the same size, uh-huh. and it and it does put out like green little babies on the top. Uh huh. But they're always so weak. Is there any way I can make them stronger? Give them more light. More light. Yeah, okay. that that plant will grow with somewhat subdued light. But if you want to put on really strong, vigorous growth, get that plant over in a bright window. And always remember, when you move that plant, never grab it by the canes to pick it up or move it around. If you pick it up to move it, I always, when I pick up a plant like that, I pick up by the pot, and then I'll sort of lean the canes against my shoulder or in the crook of my elbow you want to be very sure that you don't rock those canes back and forth in the pot, moving it around, because that's what breaks the roots, and that's what leads to the problem you had with the other one. The top just dies completely out of it. So be very, very careful in moving it around, and uh, but get it more light, and uh, the new growth coming out will be much healthier, about, much stronger. Uh, what about a little moisture? Because I know they don't like it in the roots. They don't like water down there. But Oh, yes, they do. Oh, yes, they do like water down there. They are. Oh, oh, yeah. It's just like a tree. Uh, What I always tell people, there's no such thing as too much water, but there is too often. So when you water, you want to water very thoroughly on your on all of your corn plants and then don't water them again until that soil's dry about a knuckle deep, about an inch deep and then water them very thoroughly again. But if you let those things get too dry, they will die on you. So they and do I have like. I've heard you say that a million and one time. And I don't <laughs> it. Well, just apply it to your corn plants and they'll be much happier and grow much better yes, for you. Sir. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure, Maggie. Let me tell you one more thing. Um, uh-huh. Next Saturday morning, uh, we're going to do a seminar over at the nursery on houseplants. Everything you ever want to know about houseplants, uh, our expert Heather is going to be giving that one, and she's the lady that does most everything with her houseplants in the greenhouse and things. So uh, if you would like to learn about that and about all kinds of plants, free of charge, 945. You don't sign up. You just show up, and uh, I okay. think it's going to be a real, really fun seminar. Well, what day is it on Saturday on Saturday, Sunday? yeah, always on Saturday. Okay. We uh, have let's see, we have three more of them this year. Heather's going to do this weekend. Donna's going to do her incredible combination pot seminar, and then I'm going to finish up with a seminar on everything new in tools for the gardener. And uh, that's those are the next three seminars in our Saturday morning series. Yesterday morning we talked about greenhouses and garden rooms and winter protection. So seminars are always free. They're always nine forty-five, and you are always welcome. So we'd love to see you. Well. Except for houseplants, I feel like I'm very smart about gardening. Um, I learn it all from you, and if you need to fill in, I'll fill in for you one day. Oh, that sounds like a good plan. I'll let you know when I can sneak <laughs> off to go fly fishing or something. Maggie, have a wonderful weekend, and uh, we'd love to see you next Saturday morning. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. Thank you. <laughs> Goodbye. All right. It's going to be Kathy and Reuben and Beverly and Betty, and Kathy's first. Good morning. Good morning. How Good morning. are you today? Ah, it's just a beautiful day out there, and I uh, got an extra hour of sleep, so I guess I'm even better than usual this morning. Okay, great. Uh, I have a question about, I call them fig plants. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, it's got the great big leaves on it. Okay, probably fiddly fig. The leaves are, oh, six, eight, ten inches long and about five or six inches wide. Yes, sir. That's okay. it. Yeah, let's call them okay. fiddly figs. They're related to edible figs, but fiddly fig is tropical, won't take a freeze. What can I tell you about it? Well, my neighbor left it here for me. Uh, my neighbor next door moved, and mm-hmm. uh, 
she was going to come back and get it. Well, <laughs> okay. she never did. Okay, it's, lucky and you. I called her, and it, she's got it in a, uh, it's like a half of a whiskey barrel, but it's uh, flat rubber, mm-hmm. and uh, but it looks like a whiskey barrel. Okay. But anyway, well, uh, I, it was outside, and last year it froze. Uh-huh. So I cut all the dead off. Well, it came back, okay. and now it's just going crazy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, the part that I cut off, uh, it did not come back on those. Uh-huh. But it came back out on new new uh, limbs. Right. And So it's doing great, but the thing is, it's so big, and I've got it on my front porch. My poor husband almost came himself <laughs> trying to move it. Okay. But uh, it's too big. And I wanted to know, can I repop this and put it in something a little smaller? Because I'd like to put it on something on wheels so I can move it around. Well, you can actually get a real strong plant caddy, as they call them, something that has four wheels on it that will move right. a pot that big very, very easily. You see, that plant would like to be 40 feet tall and 20 feet wide. So, well, see, that's all the ones I've ever seen were so tall, but this thing is just going wide. Right. And that's because the top froze back, so now it wants to make a bush rather than a tree. You could put it into a smaller pot. You could basically bonsai it, but unfortunately, this would be the worst time of year to do that. If you wanted to do that, uh, it really needs to be done during warm weather rather than cold weather. So um, I will tell you this, if it you know, if we have a typical Texas winter where we don't have just really, really severe cold, you can wrap it up with some of this stuff we call uh, floating row cover. The brand I like best is called Insulate, like the letter N. And you can, in effect, wrap it up and you can probably protect it from freeze damage down to 25 degrees or so. Now, if we have one of those, what my grandfather used to always call a blue norther, if we have one of those ones that it's going to get down into the teens, you would right. either need to bring it in or you need to supply a little bit of supplemental heat from a milk house heater or a heat lamp or something like that. But at this time of year, I really can't suggest that you put it into a smaller pot because you just would do too much damage to the root system. But uh, I'll tell you, they make... Um, you know, you're not going to find them at Walmart, but at a good nursery, you will find a plant caddy that you can, uh, and, and the way that I always do with a real heavy plant is just two of us. One of us kind of tips it over, the other one sips the caddy onto it, and then we stand the plant back up. There are really good caddies with really good coasters, really good wheels on them that, uh, as long as you're not trying to go up steps, uh, you can move them back and forth pretty easily, and at the very you know, least get it to where it's not quite as exposed. But you have to remember, with all of this family, and it includes rubber plants, fiddly figs, what they call the weeping fig, ficus benjamina, ficus lirata, ficus decor. There are lots and lots of different of the tropical varieties. But the secret to success with all of them is lots of light, and don't ever let them get dry. When that soil is dry on the surface, it wants to be watered again. And they're beautiful houseplants, provided that you have enough light for them. And my suspicion is that the best thing you can do this winter is going to be to wrap it up when we have freezing weather forecast. And I mean, yeah, they can go right it's outside. I can't. It's on my porch now. It's uh-huh. on my front porch. Right. And it's it's blocked 
from the wind, and I have been covering it with the sheet. Yeah. And uh, but I'm afraid it's going to break the leaves off. But I've been trying to support it as much as I can so it doesn't just lay on. Well, the leaves. next time you're around a good nursery, see if they carry this uh, material called insulate. The letter N S U L A T E. It does a much better job of protecting than a sheet will, and it's much lighter weight than a sheet. So. Uh, very unlikely that you're going to have any problem with breaking the leaves. You probably will put it on at safety pins with safety pins and just draw it a little bit tighter around the base. And uh, you just put it in a big white cocoon. And the insulate fabric, the reason we like that particular brand so much is that it actually lets enough light through that you don't have to take it back off. You could leave it wrapped up all winter long if you wanted to, and that way you're not running in and out trying to wrap it up and protect it. With a, a bed sheet, it doesn't allow any light through, so you have to pull it off as soon as it warms up. But if it would make it easier for you and your husband, if you get this uh, what is called insulate fabric, you can wrap it up with that and leave it on all winter if you like. And then if we get a really cold night, then you might want to throw something a little extra over it to protect it. But that insulate's going to carry it you know, down to 25 degrees. And most winters, especially up on your protected porch, most winters it's not going to get any colder than that. Okay, it's even getting babies all around the bottom of them that mm-hmm. are coming out. I'm like, well, you know, I don't want to mess those up. Well, so and what you're, what you're looking at, those are just shoots coming out from the base, just like, uh-huh. you know, even an edible fig would make. And it just, uh, since it was not able to maintain its top through the winter, it says, okay, you don't like me as a tree, I'll just make a bush for you. And as time goes on, again, this is not the time of year to do it, but during warm weather, you can get your pruning shears out, you can shape it, you can take off some of those limbs and make it just about any shape you want to. And if you waited till summer to do it, you can actually do what we call air layers, put, uh, take, it's a way of sort of pre-rooting a cutting and you could start 15, 20 new plants off that to share with your friends and, uh, Everybody could have a fiddle leaf fig to grow, but but for now, let's just get it through the winter, and uh, I would begin just with wrapping it something like the insulate fabric, and unless we well, have I a... also know that it does not like di- just direct sunlight because it gets sunburned. Well, if you let it get accustomed to it gradually, it will be happy with direct sunlight. When it gets moved suddenly from shade to sun, it will sunburn, but I've seen those plants growing out in full hot sun uh, in tropical regions, I saw its close cousin, one of the other ficus, uh, in Jamaica one time, and it was about 125 feet tall and 150 feet wide, growing out in full sun. So it's they're like us. You know, if we went out the first day of spring and set out in the sun, we would roast. But if we let ourselves get accustomed to it gradually, not that it's good for your skin, your dermatologist will tell you that, right, right. but it will adapt to uh, where it will take the full sun. Oh, gosh, let's uh, don't wait. Let's just let me punch that button right there and say good morning, Reuben. Good morning, Bob. Morning, sir. I have a uh, a little detail here that I need some help on. Okay. I have a, a tree that's about seven, eight years old. Uh-huh. Um, California sycamore, okay. which is probably in the wrong, it's probably in the wrong environment, but uh, the leaves most of the time are curled and and brown, okay. uh, mostly in the heat during the, during the summer. Mm-hmm. Is it worth it? Is it worth it for me to fight that tree, or is it a losing battle? Um, do you like giving money to saws? As long as you're willing to give saws lots of money, I think you can probably <laughs> yeah, do. Okay. I know what you're gonna. I know what you're gonna say. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, see, in nature, these plants actually grow along creek beds. Uh, you know, if you right. happen to be driving out 281 or driving out Blanco Road or, uh, you know, out 3351, when you cross the Cibolo Creek out there, what do you see growing in the creek bottom? Sycamores, sycamores, Correct. and more right. sycamores. The There are lots of varieties. Uh, the one that's countrywide is, uh, they just call it American sycamore. Uh, they have them in Europe over there. They call them plain, P-L-A-N-E, plain trees. In our area, I like the Mexican sycamore best because it is much less disease susceptible. I'm sure your California sycamore could grow and you know, be a good tree for you if you put $50 worth of water on it every month. And that means, you know, in the summer months, you're probably going to need to give it a weekly thorough watering. But what you're describing to me is just a sycamore that's staying a little bit too dry. And if you have the water available, I think you can grow it into a nice tree. And I would tell you the same thing. I always tell people, even though I recommend Mexican sycamores highly, because they'll grow 40 feet tall in a very few years, but they do take certainly more water than an oak or an elm or even a pecan. So uh, that's all you're looking looking at the problem. Uh, that particular sycamore will have a little bit more problem with the disease called anthracnose, but it just means the leaves are going to drop a little sooner. It's just not quite as pretty as the Mexican sycamore. So I guess it just depends on how much connection you have to that tree. If I had a California sycamore, I wouldn't plant it. But if I had one that was already there and growing, I probably would take care of it and try to make a good tree out of it. So choice is yours. Yeah, that fifty dollars water, that's ouch. <laughs> Tell me about it, but you know, I look at some of these people that I won't call them foolish, but I'll say that I don't agree with them that plant acres and acres of grass. Now, in the hill country, I'll call them idiots because I serve on the groundwater district, and they're using up everybody else's water in some cases. But where Saws seems to think they have an unlimited water supply, especially with bringing this Vista Ridge project online, if you want to buy their water, you know, uh, you, you can go ahead and do it. I think it's... Uh, I don't think it's the smartest thing to do, but there are people out there that want to maintain three acres of St. Augustine grass. And I guess if you're from California and you brought plenty of money with you, then that's an okay thing to do. But it's just not the way I would do it. <laughs> yeah. um, okay. Um, let me ask you this. If I decided to cut that tree down, uh-huh. would I be able to, to plant something, another tree next, right in the same area? Absolutely. You can't. You can't you know, in effect, plant it on top of the old stump, but uh, as close to that old stump as you can dig a hole, you can certainly plant a new tree. There's no disease. There's nothing alleliopathic is the term they use. There's nothing in the soil that would be damaging to your new tree. It's just a matter of fighting your way through whatever roots that tree is put down to be able to get your new tree in the ground. Right. I would rather fight it now before it gets any taller <laughs> if, 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 if I decide to go that way. You know, I hate to it. tell anybody to uh, to eliminate an existing plant, but I think it'd be the wise move from what you've told me. Yeah, and uh, maybe go with a, what, a red oak or something? I don't really like red oaks as much because of their susceptibility to oak wilt. I would think okay. about a Mexican live oak, what they call a Monterey oak. I would think about a cedar elm. I would think about a Montezuma cypress. Um, there are a bunch of where you're looking for a good size shade trees. There, there are a lot of trees that will give you 
moderately fast growth. There's some of them like the uh, burr oak that take a little longer to grow, but make a tree that'll live for 200 years. I think they're just a lot better choices out there than uh, than sycamore. But I would stay away from your standard live oak and the red oak because they are susceptible to oak wilt. But we have lots of other oaks and lots of other trees as well to choose from. Something that'll grow fast enough that'll have shade before I die. I'm planning on your living a long time, but probably the the Monterey oak, the Mexican live oak, is going to be one of your best choices. Uh, are you in the CPS service area? You get your energy from yes. City Public Service. Yes. I want you to yes. go online and look up what they call their green shade rebate program. Um, if you plant a tree off of their list, and every tree I just mentioned is on their list, and there are a couple of qualifications. You can't put it on the north side of your house, but um, usually it's it's easy to find a good place for that tree, and they'll give you a $50 credit on your bill for planting up to seven trees that way. And uh, this way, saw, or CPS can literally buy the tree for you, um, uh, you know, as long as you're not looking for a giant tree. But check out the Green Shade Rebate Program. It goes through the fall, winter, and into the spring. And for people in the CPS service area, there are just a couple of qualifications as to, because they want a tree that's going to shade your home, and that's probably what you want as well. But 50 bucks is 50 bucks, and if that, that'll buy you, a, a $50 will buy you a nice tree. And uh, why not let uh, CPS Energy pay for it? Yeah, you said something now that... Uh about uh, on the north side you, this tree is is on the north side of my house well and if you plant another tree in the same spot again if you go to the website there's a little diagram on there that will show you where you can plant a qualifying tree and uh, they just they want you to plant a tree that's going to shade your home so you don't use as much energy in the summer months but uh, maybe you want to plant two trees. Maybe you want to plant one on the north side, and maybe you want to plant one on the west side. But uh, it's just it's a great way to let the CPS give you back a little bit of your money, in effect, uh, to get you to plant more trees in your on your landscape. And what's the title that I'm, I'm looking for? What, how do I find them? Uh, go to CPS Energy, and okay. it's the Green Shade Rebate Program. Okay, Bob, thank you very much for waiting, and I appreciate your, your service. Oh, Ruben, it's my pleasure. You have a great weekend. All thank right. you. Good. Thank you. Bye-bye. Certainly. Bye. All right. Next up is going to be Beverly. Good morning, Beverly. Yes, good morning. Good morning. Let's see. Every year I plant uh, the rye grass, and it usually does pretty good. But this year, let's see, a couple of days ago I had a bunch of leaves in the yard, so I mulched them. So, do I have to wait a while or take the, those leaves up that I mulch? Well, here's here's the deal. You want your your rice seed to make contact with the soil underneath. If you have so many leaves that the seed could not get down to the dirt, yes, you should rake them up. Or what I would do is just run your mower through them and chop them up pretty good. And that way you're probably going to have plenty of exposed soil. But your grass seed's not going to sprout very well if it's sitting on top of a layer of leaves. But if the seed can make contact with the soil, it's going to grow beautifully. And those shredded up leaves will be a good mulch for it. Yes, I did mulch the leaves, okay. so they're in little tiny pieces. So would it be all right to mix the dirt in, in the, that mulch sure. leaves? Sure, plant your and plant your rice seed this afternoon. Oh, well, that would be great. Okay, then you talk about compost is good for the yard. When do I do the compost now? 
Well, you don't put down compost where you want to plant the seed because uh, new grass needs lots and lots of oxygen, and compost is making carbon dioxide instead. But any of your existing grass that you're not going to overseed with the rye, that's where you want to put your compost down anytime between now and February. Uh, if you want to, you can let your rye grass uh, turn green, start growing, and then put a little bit of compost over it. But just getting started, uh, you want to just have soil for your grass to be growing its roots into. But like I say, if you have areas where you have Bermuda, St. Augustine, Oysia, whatever, any places that you're not going to put the rye seed, then that's where you're going to put the compost, and the sooner the better. Yeah, in my front yard, we have just all... Um, the St. Augustine grass, mm-hmm. and it's really thick, and so that's where I'll be putting the compost. Yeah, just put a thin layer on whenever you have the time and the energy to do it. Yeah, and you know, my husband was going to ask you, uh, we got a jujube tree in the back, and, uh-huh. and he wanted to know a little information on that. Well, they grow the more as a... It's really good. <laughs> yeah, they grow more as kind of a shrubby plant than as a real tree. And I will warn you that they, they put up suckers off the roots, so it can almost be invasive. Uh, but it's certainly, you know, a good shrubby tree for this area, and it will certainly produce plenty of jujubes for you. Yeah, and are they a native tree? No, they're well. They're native somewhere, which I think is Asia. I don't believe they're native in this area, but oh, okay. uh, they are what we would call a well-adapted tree, and that they will grow well here, even though this is not their original home. Oh, okay, okay. Well, I sure do. Thank you for your information. It's always a pleasure. I appreciate the call, Beverly. Thank you. And you have a nice day. God you do you. the same. Thank you. Bye bye. Goodbye. Betty is up first. Good morning, Betty. Yes, good morning, Bob. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. How about yourself? Oh, the same. Oh, Beautiful nice. morning out there. Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> We've been okay, waiting for uh, this weather for a long time. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. I have been, too. Uh, quick question here. My husband inadvertently trying to help me about a month and a, or about a month and a half ago. He put in compost when we still were at, like, 90 degrees. Mm-hmm. And it is showing up now on our St. Augustine grass as yellow areas. You can sure. clearly see where he put it. Stop, stop worrying about it. it. It's a okay. temporary yellowing. It didn't really do any damage. It was just too hot. And that's what, uh, you know, we'll give him an A for wanting to be helpful and a C <laughs> for not asking Beverly what or Betty what to do first. Yes. But um, <laughs> on average, he's gonna getting a passing grade. But uh, yeah. that's going to go away. Have you put on your fall fertilizer yet? Uh, no, I haven't. That was my next question yeah. because I had, in, in some of the areas, because we actually the, the uh, lawn in the front is brand new. We mm-hmm. put it in like in March. Right. And so I have already uh, put fertilizer uh, after that, you know, during the mm-hmm. summer before, like in June or sure. uh, May or something like that. But I haven't for the fall yet, but I wanted to wait until I got my questions answered. For sure. You. Well, but do it I, as soon as you can, and don't look okay. for these gimmicks that they call winterizer or anything, and don't buy oh, no, the no, 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 synthetic no. fertilizers. Yeah, but yeah. no, it, when you put your fall fertilizer on, uh, your your St. Augustine should green up relatively quickly afterwards when you're using a good organic product. And uh, <laughs> I just, you know, I'm sure that he has learned his lesson because I'm sure he's heard about this situation more than once. <laughs> well, no, I was just wondering, like, 
what happened? Well, you you well, tell. We you, had the wrong bag. So. Yeah, it, it's just it it was right compost, but the wrong time. You you have to wait till the temperatures get down in seventies and low eighties, and then it's the best thing you can do for your grass. But if you put it out in the heat, you will get that temporary yellowing. But it is. Uh, and I can't tell you without seeing it, but I'm mm-hmm. 99% sure that's what the issue is. And uh, your grass should grow right out of it with cooler weather and a little bit of uh, nutrition. Okay. And really quick, on the uh, those, the, we had some spots, even though they kind of put full sod mm-hmm. and had, were trying to level out the, uh, the front and sure. everything. Uh, we have some areas that are like uh, somewhat... Uh, Uneven? You know, needle, yes. Okay. And so we were wanting to put some topsoil. Is that a good time to do it right now? How how much are you going to have to add to this area? Half an inch, an inch, two inches? Oh, it it varies. Okay. It varies in, in, you know, different spots. In most cases, compost is going to be better to use than topsoil. Topsoil, I don't care how good it is, is going to bring in weeds, and you don't want okay. weeds. And, um, you know, there, you could, if it's uh, going to be a very deep thing, you might mix a little lava sand with it. You might mix in a little bit of green sand. But if it's no more than an inch, fill it in with compost and let the grass just grow over and take care of it. I just, um, I've just seen too many problems and too much mud created where people tried spreading topsoil. And what if uh, it inadvertently, again, he was helping he put he put in uh I had some of that new earth in a bag uh garden soil. Uh-huh. So he kind of went and spread out a little bit in some areas to see if that would uh take care of the brown spots. That should be <laughs> the yellowing brown. Yeah. <laughs> that that should be a pasteurized soil. New earth uh uh-huh. does a pretty good job of uh in effect heat treating their soil to kill the weed seeds. You may have a little bit of weed come up, but uh, New Earth's a good company overall. And um, just add a little more compost on top of that, and your grass should spread fairly quickly into that area whenever the weather's right for it. And uh, um, again, uh, hopefully he's learned his lesson to ask his his really sharp (laughs) wife what to do before he does it. Most men eventually learn that, but uh, (laughs) some of it takes longer than others. And then I uh, another uh, yesterday I remember somebody saying something about uh, the big uh, tomatoes and uh, that they had flowers or something and you were saying that they probably wouldn't produce they wouldn't uh, set fruit when the nights uh, large fruited tomatoes when the nights are either too hot or too cool they don't set fruit the cherries keep on setting as long as you know they don't freeze but. Um, of course, you're over toward Houston, so you're a little bit warmer than we are. But unless we have nights up in the upper 60s and 70s, uh, you're not going to get a lot more fruit set. Okay. All righty. So can I just kind of pull the plants out or something? They were celebrity sure. tomatoes. Yeah. No, I'd, I'd pull them out and replant broccoli or cauliflower or snow peas or okay. spinach or lots of things you can plant this time of year. Okie dokie then. All righty. Well, thank you so much. I, w- I wish I could find somewhere I've got a little sign that you would appreciate. In large letters, it says, a woman must do a job twice as well as a man to be thought half as good. In smaller letters <laughs> underneath, it says, fortunately, this is not difficult. <laughs> you find that for your husband, and you have a great weekend. All right. You too. Thank Thanks, you so Betty. Much. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Next up is Lloyd. Good morning, Lloyd. Hey, good morning, Bob. Morning, sir. Some uh, Johnson amaryllis. 
Admiral Johnson, I yes, sir, the red one. Uh huh. And planted them about I don't know three or four days before I freeze. I'm up near Kerrville. Uh huh. And I, when I got them, they had green foliage on them. Mm-hmm. And and now the foliage, you know, after the freeze has turned brown and just laying over. And I'm just wondering if you thought they had a chance to survive. Oh yeah. Yeah, they they're going to grow roots over the winter months. I mean, it uh I had we talked earlier if they were dormant bulbs, I would have planted them if they were up and had green foliage on them. I probably would have held them in pots over the winter months and planted them out in the spring, but years they've just suffered a setback. They, you know, this is not the kiss of death for them. Um, it doesn't look like we're going to have an exceptionally wet winter. I would worry if the soil just got soggy wet and stayed that way. But the meteorologists that I talked to say we're moving into a period where we should have average rainfall, which means it's we're going to get some rain, but probably not long term, just create a soggy, swampy situation. So uh, your Amaryllis Johnson I should will probably just remain as invisible bulbs through the winter, but they're going to continue to grow roots through the winter months. And uh, this is probably you're going to have a better chance of having them bloom for having been forced into dormancy at this time of year. So uh, not all bad at all. Okay, would you cut the foliage while remaining, just cut it off? If it's brown and crispy, yeah, that you're not accomplishing anything by leaving it there. It's just kind of like cutting your hair or your fingernails. It'll look nicer if you trim it up. Yeah, they got a little green left to them, but, you know, it's, it's you know, it's over on the ground. You know, sure. Ground. Well, if the tops have fallen over, they're probably done for, uh, if it were mine. Here's the one thing that I would tell you. Anytime you're cutting on green tissue on that amaryllis or any amaryllis, um, the amaryllis is susceptible to a virus, a what we call a mosaic virus. It creates kind of a checkerboard pattern in the leaves. And amaryllis johnson eye, it's really rare when you see old patches of it growing around. It's rare to see any that doesn't have some virus in it. So I might wait until those leaves have turned totally brown before I started cutting into green tissue. Uh, if I was going to cut into green tissue, I would have, uh, you know, a little jar of Clorox, a little jar of alcohol, something like that. And I would wipe my knife blade or my scissors blade or shears or whatever. I would wipe that off any time I move from one plant with green foliage to the next plant. Obviously, within a given plant, you cut as much as you want without worrying about it. But before you move to the next plant, you know, wipe those uh, the blade of your cutting tool off very thoroughly with either alcohol or uh, a Clorox mix to kill any virus that might be there that you don't even know is there. And uh, that's going to be same thing true in the future if you have other amaryllis that you're growing. Uh, the uh, mosaic virus does not kill the amaryllis, but it will reduce their flower production. And the foliage simply isn't as pretty if they get it. So uh, you just kind of think of it as the age of the plant world and take the same precaution. You know, clean anything that you're going to be cutting with. Okay. And uh, I have a couple bulbs of a different, I think it's a red lion uh-huh. amaryllis. And I want to put those in a pot. How should the pot be slightly bigger than the bulbs? Yeah, the average. How how wide across would you say the bulb is? 
Oh, maybe two inches. Okay, I'd I'd go ahead and put it probably in a five or six inch pot. I think a six inch pot's kind of a minimum size. But had you told me that uh, that these plants, you know, were uh, you know, the bulbs were four inches across. I'd still tell you to put it in a six-inch pot. But a two-inch bulb, I'd probably put it in a six-inch pot. I suspect that I don't know that specific cultivar, but I suspect that rather than being one of the American amaryllis, that is probably what we call a Dutch amaryllis or a hippiastrum, different genus, and they are not as cold-hardy. If you're growing them in the Kerrville area, you're going to ultimately need to either keep those in pots or plant them in a little bit more protected bed, uh, mulch them pretty heavily if we have an unusually cold spell because the Dutch amaryllis are not as cold-hardy as the American amaryllis, but they sure are pretty. Okay. All right. Well, that takes care of me. I appreciate your information. You always call if I can help you in any way, Lloyd. Sure appreciate the call this morning. Thank you. Bye. Well, I say good morning, Lynn. Good morning. I have a question for you about a Satsuma tree. I bought one, and it's about three and a half feet tall, and it's in a three to five gallon size pot. Mm -hmm. Am I supposed to plant that in the ground, or should I put it in a large pot the way I did my Meyer lemon? Well, your Satsuma is much more cold-hardy than your Meyer's lemon. Uh, We typically keep lemons and limes in pots because our weather can get cold enough that they need protection. Uh, whereas your Myers lemon's cold hardy down to about 26 degrees, your Satsuma's going to be cold hardy probably down, unless it's a very sudden drop, your Satsuma will be hardy down into the upper teens. So okay. in general, in San Antonio, we're, we're pretty safe to put sats, Satsumas in the ground. Now, if you were calling me from Fredericksburg or Austin, I might tell you to put it in a pot, but if you're, if you're, Anywhere around San Antonio, weather in the teens is rare. You could always uh-huh. wrap it up or something if you had to, okay. and it's going to grow a lot faster, and it's going to be a lot easier to maintain in the ground. So I'd put the Satsuma in the ground, and I would keep the lemon in the pot. Okay, and will the Satsuma have a tree form or a bush form the depends way the Meyer on, is? Depends on how you prune it. It can be oh, okay. either way, and uh, a bush is always more productive than a tree, a tree doesn't take up as much space as a bush does, so it kind of all depends on what Lynn's space looks like. If you need the space, make okay. a tree out of it. If you have room for a bush, uh, of course, you want to be sure nothing comes out below the graft point, but uh, right. uh, you're always probably going to get a 30% more you know, fruit off of a bush than you okay. are off of a tree. Okay, and if I were to have to wrap it, do you just wrap the leafy portion or the trunk as well? You go all the way to the ground. All the way down. Okay, yeah. and and I was also shopping for a fig tree, and one of the uh, varieties you recommended was Everbearing. But uh-huh. when I was looking, I didn't find one by that name, and so I didn't know if that was its its variety or its characteristic. Well, <laughs> kind of both. Uh, there is one they call a white everbearing. There's one they call Texas everbearing. The Texas everbearing also goes by the name of brown turkey. Um, oh, okay. But you'll you'll see them. Uh, gosh, we buy them from one of the biggest growers in Texas, and they list label them as Texas everbearing. But um, okay. that's that's just I one did of the good see ones. The brown turkey. So yeah. that's that's it. Okay. 
And uh, I have quite a few colanchos planted in large pots outside. Mm-hmm. How low can they go before I have to cover them? They don't want a heavy frost. A light frost okay. will not bother them, but, you know, we can have okay. frost at 38 degrees. If they right, are underneath right. an area, you know, if you have tree cover or under an arbor or something, you're probably not going to have yeah. frost because frost uh, shows up in open areas. And in an area where they will not get frost, they can generally, if it doesn't stay too cold too long, they can go down to about 28 without any damage. But if they're out in the open, a heavy frost will damage the leaves. Okay, they are under trees, so that will help that situation. And when you were discussing that it's time to do compost and fertilizer for the fall, right? Uh, I need to do both. Mm-hmm. So which should I do first? <laughs> that is totally up to you. I feel like okay. it's better, if you can, to put the fertilizer down first, because then it's a lot easier. It's much easier to spread a 40-pound bag of fertilizer than it is four yards of compost. And when yeah. you put the fertilizer down first and then put the compost on top of it, you're putting out the microbes that are going to begin digesting the fertilizer, which is uh-huh. what you want. But if you've already put okay. down the compost, put your fertilizer on top of it. It doesn't make a lot of difference. But if you okay. have the opportunity, I always think it's better to put fertilizer first and then compost second. Fantastic. Those were my questions today. Thank you so much for your help. And very good questions. Thank you for the call this morning, Lynn. We'll talk again. Okay, let's see. Next up is going to be Ray, and then it will be Judy and Daryl. Good morning, Ray. Good morning. Morning, sir. My what? My wife went out and bought about 24-inch pots of alyssum. Okay. And uh, I've been tasked with, uh, of course, putting them in the ground. Um, are they going to make it? Do they, are they cold-hardy if I use those 4-inch pots? Yeah, they're down into the low 20s at least. And where you are, that's probably going to be you know, not an issue. You do want to plant them where they get plenty of sunlight and right. if they came out of a greenhouse, it's going to take them a week or so to build up their cold hardiness. But typically, throughout San Antonio, you're in Sugarland, so you're probably even a little bit warmer than we are. Um, alyssum, sweet alyssum, should make it all the way through the winter with no problem. The one problem we see with alyssum is that sometimes you get this little tiny green caterpillar and i mean this guy's not more than you know three-eighths of an inch uh, or maybe even three-sixths of an inch long if it suddenly seems like you're not getting any buds you're not getting any flowers probably need to spray with some spinosad or some bt because this little guy is fairly common in the winter months but uh sweet alyssum is one of our best wintertime plants it is highly fragrant uh, you'll find forms that are white and purple and kind of an orchidy pink color. Uh, I love sweet alyssum, but it does need it does need plenty of sun. It's not going to grow very tall. So if you're planting it along with dianthus or snapdragons or even your bigger pansies, always put the alyssum toward the front of the bed so that it doesn't get uh, hidden by your taller wintertime flowers. Very good. Thanks for your help, Bob. Great question. Thanks for the call, Ray. Have a good weekend. Bye. Thanks. Bye. All right, let's just go to the top of the board, and that would be Judy. Good morning, Judy. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. I have a simple question, I guess. My tomato plant froze on the top. Uh-huh. So what do should I I don't think I should trim it. Just let it grow and see what happens. Is it a big fruited tomato or is it a cherry tomato? Big one. It's okay. A, it's probably not gonna do anything else this year. 
because big fruited tomatoes have to have warm nights, and by warm nights, I mean mid to upper 60s or 70s. And in all likelihood, we are through with having nights that warm. I was looking, uh, my weather app goes out about two weeks and everything. We're going to be up in the 50s again at night. And if you had a cherry tomato, that's warm enough for cherry tomatoes to set fruit. Now, if you've got the space in the garden and want to leave it, yeah, you can certainly leave it. But the chances of getting any more fruit off of it are pretty slim. In my garden, I'd be pulling it up and replanting with broccoli or cauliflower or garlic or uh, had lettuce or spinach or one of the many things that like the cool weather. Your, your, your big tomatoes, your big fruited tomatoes probably done all it's going to do this year. Okay, it has tomatoes on it. Well, okay. They- Keep yeah. growing? Yeah, leave them. They're not going to get a lot bigger, but we're supposed to have days back up in the 70s next week. And since the tomatoes are already set, by all means, leave them. They will grow up. If we have another really cold period forecast, and I'm not seeing that in the next 10 days, but if we do have more freezing weather forecasts, I probably would pick them, bring them in, and ripen them in the windowsill. But for now, keep watering, keep feeding, and let those tomatoes get a little bit bigger while they have the chance to. Okay, that's what I wonder, because it's just the top. Yeah, if the tomatoes are already on there, they should go ahead and get somewhat larger and mature, but you're probably not going to get any more tomatoes set, so when these are done and enjoyed, then it's time to pull it out and put something else in. Okay, I heard you talking about fig trees, Mm -hmm. and I'm kind of interested in the fig trees, so what kind should I plant? There are many different kinds of fig trees. Are you in San Antonio proper, or where are you, Judy? We're over uh, 1604 in Bolverde. Okay. Um, there are some new fig trees out there which are a little less cold-hardy. There's a really big fig out there called LSU Purple. There's another one simply called Purple Giant. I probably would tend to avoid those because they're going to be a little bit more prone to freeze damage. But where you are, Alma, Celeste, also sold as Celestial, Brown Turkey or Texas Everbearing, Green Ishi, White Kubota. Um, there are lots of different figs, and they will be one of the easiest fruits you ever plant. Uh, just be aware that they do get large. A small fig plant is going to be eight feet wide and eight feet tall so you've got to have room for it and you've got to be able to provide it with uh, pretty good amounts of water in dry periods but uh, figs are super easy super productive they do like sun and like i say they are going to get uh, pretty good size now there is a dwarf fig out there i'm not much into dwarf figs because they don't produce nearly as many figs but if you said i just have to have a fig but i don't have any room uh, there's a new one out there called Little Miss Figgy, not Piggy, but Little Miss Figgy. And it is a dwarf feed, a fig that grows about four feet tall and four feet wide. So anybody with a limited area might look at that, but where you have room, yeah, go for it. If you like figs, it'll be one of those easy and productive trees you've ever grown. Okay. So which one of those would you choose? I'm, because we, we used to have one. And it was wonderful. But anyway, I can't remember what kind of <laughs> Okay. Well, here's the thing about figs. Some people, and I suspect it's people who aren't organic, but some people have problems with what we call a fruit weevil that gets in. You know, figs have that kind of that little open end down on the bottom. 
And if you were in an area where you were bothered by this little fruit weevil, then you would want to choose a variety of fig that develops a little drop of rosin, a little drop of sap that basically seals off that little opening. And the two varieties that do that are Alma, A-L-M-A, and Celestial, C-E-L-E-S-T-I-A-L, also sometimes sold as Celeste. If you are not concerned about the fruit weevil, my favorite is still good many one of the everbearings, either Texas everbearing or white everbearing. But um, I, again, I've you know I've had figs on there. There's a figs a lot older than me, but I suspect it's been there about eighty years. It's frozen to the ground and come back several times over that period of time, and it's still an enormous plant that's fifteen feet tall and twenty feet wide. So um, figs are tough plants. Uh, they're survivors, and I've never had fruit weevils to worry about in any fig that I've ever grown. So I tend to not worry too much about it. But if you're concerned, again, Alma or Celestial, if you're not, just stay away from the less cold-hardy varieties like the LSU Purple and the Purple Giant. Uh, stick with any good Texas varieties, and you'll grow great figs. Okay, very good. Now, how about a Satsuma? Which one did you recommend? I should write these down. Well, the one that I would stay away from in general, the one I'd stay away from is called Changsha. And the only reason I'm not fond of Changsha is it is full of seeds. It'll have 10 or 15 seeds in every orange. But it's still a very tasty Satsuma, and if you're going to use it for juice... I mean, it's it's a great Sasuma. But if you go with the varieties, there's one called Miho, M-I-H-O. There's one called Seto, S-E-T-O. There's one called Kimbro, K-I-M-B-R-O-U-G-H. All of these are going to produce fruit that has many fewer seeds in it. And the cold hardiness seems to be the same pretty much on all of them. So, um, like you say, if you don't mind seeds, then you can consider the... Uh, um, the old original one, but uh, if you want a big fruit without many seeds, Miho, Kimbro, Sito, uh, those are all good varieties. The Extension Service promotes one they call Orange Frost, which is uh, pretty cold hardy, but pretty much intermediate in seed production, somewhere between the Changsha and some of these other varieties. So, uh, um, you know, it's, it's kind of there's not a bad Satsuma. Some of them are just a little better than others. Okay, well, very good. Thank you for your info. It's always a pleasure. I sincerely appreciate the call this morning. Right now, good morning, Daryl. Hello. Hi. I'm uh, Daryl from Victoria. Yes, sir. My question is, should I mulch pot plants? Most of my gardening is a lot of pot plants. I water them twice a day during the summer. Uh Uh-huh. But should I put some kind of mulch around them? You know, it the benefits, you will get some benefits, but the benefits are minimal compared to what, you know, is going to be in the ground. In the ground, mulching makes a big, big difference in the way things grow and their hardiness and all. In a pot, it makes a small difference in the way things grow. So, yeah, I think it's fine. I'd use a mulch that has some compost blended in, a living mulch, but I'm not going to put it real high on the priority list. I'm going to be more concerned about fertilizing about winter protection about proper gardening and then as an afterthought i think mulching is fine but in a container uh even you know the bigger the container the more benefit you will derive but containers that are down in the six eight ten twelve inch range 
I have to say it's probably not worth the effort. Okay, well, I just I, I just always wonder that um, because I never mulch yeah. my pot plants. I just assumed I water them so much <laughs> that it doesn't make any difference, you know. Well, and but, uh, yeah, that like I say, the benefits are are minimal, but it's kind of like taking a, a vitamin. You know, lots of people don't need them, but sometimes it just gives you that little extra peace of mind and protection. But uh, uh, now if you had really big pots, if you had some of these fabric beds like I do that are four feet across, mm-hmm. yeah, those mm-hmm. would certainly be worth mulching. But your average yeah. pot up to whiskey barrel size, results mm-hmm. are minimal. You're certainly not going to hurt anything, but it's not going to be life-changing. Okay, well, thank you very much. I just won't mulch. <laughs> <laughs> Always a good question, and uh, say hi to the good folks over at Earthworks when you're over that way. I sure will love Earthworks. Oh, they're, they're and organic. Yeah, all of her staff over there, it's it's one great mm-hmm. nursery. So, Victoria, you're very lucky to have somebody like that around. Just tell them I said hello. Okay, I sure will. Thanks, thank Darryl. you. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Goodbye. All right, next up is uh, Scott. Good morning, Scott. Uh, good morning, Bob. I apologize ahead of time. I tuned in late, so you may have answered these already. Let's answer them again. All right. I've got some cucumber plants, and they finally have some about one, one-and-a-half-inch cucumbers on the little guys. Yeah. Will those continue to develop? Cucumbers Cucumbers grow in a hurry, so they're going to be slower to develop, but my weather forecaster says we are going to get back to some pretty warm weather next week. Leave them. They're, you know, in, in warm weather, they would be full-sized in two days. Uh, this kind of weather, they'll probably be full-sized in five or six days, but they're still going to be better than anything you buy in the grocery store. Okay, and then I've got okra plants still in there. They seem to be producing a lot slower but mm-hmm. they uh are they worth leaving in the ground do you think at this point depends on if you have the space if you have plenty of space okay. to get your broccoli and cauliflower in um yeah leave the okra i'm pulling mine up uh the minor it's just they're producing so few pods right now that uh it's hardly worth it but uh, again if you've got a giant garden and want to leave even just a few okra are worth it but uh it sure is time to get your spinach your broccoli your cauliflower all those other things in the ground okay yeah i've got two small raised beds so those guys yeah uh tomato, tomatoes have flowers no fruit those should go correct big fruited tomatoes yes uh cherry tomatoes still have the potential to make more but if there's no fruit already set on your big fruited ones they might as well come out okay that answers everything i appreciate it i appreciate the call have a great uh sunday (laughs) thanks thanks scott good morning Teresa. good morning bob how are you Uh, just a beautiful day out there looking forward to getting back out into it in about uh one hour and 55 minutes not that i'm counting well, I am, too. I just don't know when it'll be that that'll happen for me, though. Well, I hope it's soon. How can I help my, you? My, Excuse my voice. I've got allergies today. Okay. Uh, Bob, I have several plants that I didn't get around to planting, and that includes two rose bushes, one rose of Sharon, and a citrus tree. Is it too late for me to plant? Oh, it's a perfect time to plant your roses and your althea, your rose of Sharon. What kind of citrus did you purchase? Actually, it was one of my mom's old cuttings, and I don't know whether it was a a mandarin or a grapefruit or a lime. 
Okay. Well, grapefruit and limes are not real cold hardy, so I probably would plan on growing that in a big pot, and you could certainly put it into a little bit bigger pot now. If it's a mandarin or a satsuma or what we call a kumquat, those are more cold hardy citrus, and they can certainly go into the ground. But um, I, I definitely would, would plant your others, uh, your roses okay. and your uh, althea. But uh, the citrus, I can't really tell you not knowing what it is, because okay. if, it, if it's a lemon or a lime, uh, it's probably going to do better in a pot uh, just to protect it from freezing. Okay, well, I guess I won't chance it, and I'll just wait until spring. Yeah, three out of four is fine. You've got your work cut okay. out for you with two roses and one, uh, one rose of Sharon. Okie doke, Bob. I sure appreciate your help. And remember that all three of those plants, the roses and the Rose of Sharon, need a real sunny spot. So uh, pick a place that's going to get good, bright sun so you'll have the maximum number of flowers and the minimum number of problems. Very good. Thanks for your advice. You're certainly welcome, Teresa. Okay, next up is Blake. Good morning, Blake. Good morning, Bob. You must sound like you have a good sense of humor because I understand Chris was teasing you, telling you that we weren't taking certain questions this morning <laughs> i work with a bunch of characters around here and it does keep it fun it, it was fun good <laughs> i've got papayas uh-huh and they're loaded okay and a couple of weeks ago they started to ripen if you started to ripen but now they're just sitting there are they going to ripen at all or are they going to be like a fig and they're just going to sit there I'm sorry, we're not taking papaya questions. <laughs> no, they're 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 gonna. Do you have the big Mexican papayas or the little Caribbean papayas? Uh, the big Mexican. Okay, they will ripen slowly, provided we don't get any real severe weather. Um, you know, whereas that papaya might ripen in three days at 80 degrees, it may take it uh, eight or ten days to ripen, you know, with cooler temperatures. But right now, here in San Antonio, we're looking at middle 70s for the next several days. I think today's going to be a relatively cool day, but... Uh, uh, after that, we're looking at several degrees of 70, 75, sunny weather, and uh, your Mexican papaya should go right on ripening. Um, do the How do the plants look? Did they get any foliage damage with the cool weather this week? No. Uh, they're they're just they're going to be a little slower, but they're going to be just fine. I hope you've got a good lime tree growing as well, because there's just nothing much better in life than uh, good ripe papaya and a little lime juice on it. So you're going to have to be a little more patient with it, but uh, they they very definitely should ripen for you, Blake. Okay, uh, that's what I wanted to know. And are the figs going to continue to ripen, or are they? They are going to continue to ripen in the same vein. Now, I had a caller earlier whose fig had lost most of their leaves to the freeze. And when you take away all that photosynthesis potential, they're not going to ripen as quickly. They're not going to have as much sugar in them. But if the foliage still looks good on your fig tree, they're going to be just like the papayas. They're going to be just a little bit slower in developing. Is that because of the lack of heat units? No, it's uh, because of, well, the slowness, yes, it's going to be uh, very temperature-related. But uh, in the case of the other one, when you lose the the green leaves, you lose the potential for more photosynthesis other than through the little bits you're going to get through the, the limbs and the sure. fruit itself. But uh, just the slowdown is just temperature-related. Just temperature okay. 
That answers my question. I'll tell you one more thing that you might like to know since you wisely like papayas. I love papayas. Uh, the Mexican papaya, of course, the male plants and the female plants are separate. So you have to plant a lot more seeds to be sure you get at least one male in among the females. Uh, if you are limited on space and you like the little more compact Hawaiian papayas, uh, in most cases, those plants are uh, plants that will produce with just a single plant is for what we call monoecious. It means they have male and female, mm-hmm. female flowers on the same plant. So mm-hmm. uh don't know how long you've been growing papayas. Don't know how much you know about them. But your big old Mexican papayas, you've got to have a male plant separate from a female plant. The smaller Caribbean papayas, that's not necessary. And both of them are so delicious, they're sure worth growing. I must have 40 <laughs> papayas on, on these plants. Okay. Is, uh, so they've done extremely well. Yeah. It's just, uh, I didn't know if I should start cutting them down now, if they were going to ripen or not. No, they're going to ripen. Don't cut them down unless you're until they freeze. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Thank you for the call this morning. All right. Uh, let's just keep going here. Good morning, Tana. Good morning, sir. I do not have a question. Well, I'll However, bet you have something interesting to tell us then. Okay. For those of you who have hummingbird feeders, mm-hmm. do not take them in yet. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Because I had uh, a little hummingbird that zoomed in, and uh, this was three days last week, mm-hmm. and he took possession of the hummingbird feeder I had up, mm-hmm. gorged himself for about three days, and then vanished. As he should, because it's migration time. Right. But another thing is the fact that, okay, I know that the thing of brand names is somewhat questionable, but Perky Pet has a type of hummingbird feeder that is wasp waste, Coke bottle, whatever you want to call uh-huh. it. It has the uh, red flowers yeah. at the bottom. And little bee guards on them. Right. If you take the bee guards off, now I have lived in three subdivisions in San Antonio proper. I am now out in the country. And each place, the house finches, Mm -hmm. some of them are smart enough that they will come down. Oh, yeah. And they will drink from those. And you'd be surprised how many people are not aware of this. <laughs> You're right. So and I, I have to tell you, my business partner sent me a text early this morning that even in Kendalia, she had a hummingbird this morning out drinking at the feeder. So you're right. Some mm-hmm. of these guys are a little late in migrating. And, yes, I like Perky Pet. I think they're a very good feeder. The little one you're describing is a great one for the finches. But even the one that I use that they call the world's largest, which holds about a quart of nectar, uh, the finches will even feed at that. And you'll occasionally, occasionally have an Oriole come to drink from it as well. So as long as you keep the right. nectar fresh, uh, it's great to leave them out all the time. Right. Keep the nectar fresh and take off the bee guards mm-hmm. so the finches can get to it if you use the standard $9 one. Right. And the thing of it is, out where I am, I have two types of warblers that uh-huh. come during the late fall and winter, uh-huh. and they winter over here. So I have the finches and the warblers. So it's just a matter of 
letting your folks know that if you still want to keep birds, <laughs> now it won't take some well, time for them to find it, but they can. You're most kind to take the time to point that out to us. Uh, I would also add that uh, it's a good source of nectar for the bees. The hummingbirds, uh, not the hummingbirds, but the honeybees, uh, tend to remain active for most of the winter here. And since we don't have natively a lot of uh, wintertime flowers out there, sometimes that source of uh, sugar water is what helps uh, your native bee colonies get through the winter as well. So uh, one more reason to uh, leave the feeders out. And like you say, just uh, <laughs> just keep the nectar fresh. And, uh, Tana, it's always good to hear from you. Well, thank you so much. You haven't heard from me much because my physical problems have kept me out of the garden, so to speak, but that doesn't inhibit me from putting out types of bird feeders and watching our feathered friends. Well, I'm so glad you enjoyed it, and I, I hope that you're able to get back to the gardening you love as well, and uh, I'm sure we'll talk again. So let me push that button and say good morning, Liz. Good morning, Bob. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How about you this morning? Oh, I'm okay. Just worried about one of my trees, but I'll tell you all about it. Okay, I your your speakerphone is a little raspy. If you can uh, get on your handset, it'd be a lot better, uh, Liz. Okay, there, I'm that's sorry. much better. I forgot but, I had put it on on my speaker. <laughs> that's much better. I want to be sure I understand you correctly. Yes, uh huh. I had some branches cut off of the roof uh, from an Arizona ash tree that uh-huh. I have in the back, and a Chinese wallow. I think that's what they told me. It was because I didn't know what kind of tree it probably, was. Probably Chinese tallow, T-A-L-L-O-W. Oh, okay. Yes, ma'am. Okay, got the, the first letter wrong then. Chinese tallow. Uh, what I wanted to know is um, during the summer, I didn't treat them that good because I don't know that much about trees. And some of the branches would fall off and they would be dried. And I wanted to know what should I use so that I can try to help them uh, get healthy and and. <laughs> greener and not have so many of those branches well the number one thing you need to use is called water and uh lots of water yeah both of those trees are fairly shallow rooted and um they they suffer when they get too dry and they do exactly what you're saying tallow is the worst it never seems to drop very big limbs for the most part but it'll have hundreds of little nuisance limbs come down uh even when it gets good watering you'll always have a few but those two trees both need water when we go for more than two or three weeks without rain um they they could use some water they would also appreciate a little fertilizer just the same thing you put on your grass medina mushroom grow nature's creation lots of good brands out there but a little bit of fertilizer will help them but water is the main reason you lost some limbs this summer because we basically from the middle of june until october we didn't get any rain virtually no rain at all and uh that's what bothers your tallow and your uh arizona ash so uh mm-hmm. yeah water's the main thing but i'm sure you, you want to fertilize your grass and your other shrubs and things so just save a little fertilizer back and you don't have to dig holes or i don't recommend those so-called root stakes or tree stakes or whatever that stuff is it's just mm-hmm. glue and chemical fertilizer but the same good organic fertilizer you use everywhere else just put a little extra out around the drip line of those two trees and they'll do much better mm-hmm. for you and if the weather stays like it is right now you're probably going to have some beautiful red leaves on the tallow tree 
It um, Some of the native plant folks don't like them because in the wrong place they can be invasive. But in an urban landscape, tallow is one of our prettiest trees for fall color. So hope you get to enjoy that. Yes, because I saw uh, where one of my trees, I guess they planted it many years ago, the Arizona ash, and it's close to my bedroom, and it Uh has a big, big trunk. And it seems like it's split a little bit in the middle, Uh uh, way in the bottom, kind of. So is it uh, advisable to take it out eventually, or or what should I do about that one? I, I always worry about trees that have a split in them or have very narrow limbs you don't want to just call a tree trimmer because they're going to always tell you to cut it down because they want to take your money but um Mm -hmm. i would find somebody who is truly an arborist and have them take a look at it and sometimes if it was an oak tree they might do what we call cabling or bracing do some things to make the uh the tree stronger at the very least they are probably going to advise that you Take a little bit of the weight off of any limbs that might potentially fall on your home, but um, it's it's not something that you know. Even I could I could look at a picture and make a real recommendation. It's something that you probably need to call a good arborist, David Vaughn, Ed Etter, one of the really good guys in town, to take a look, and they'll give you they'll give you an honest answer. Uh, David Vaughn doesn't do any of the trimming himself, so he doesn't have anything to sell you. Uh, Ed Etter is so busy; it's going to be three months before he's looking for his next job so he's not out to sell you something you don't need because he's he stays plenty busy without having to sell himself people just seem to find him so at some point just to protect uh liz and just to protect your home and your car and your pets and things like that yeah i would get it taken look at least looked at and i would suspect that a minimum if you're starting to get a split in the trunk they would want to take some of the weight off of those limbs that might be hanging over your house but that's about the best advice uh, second gentleman ed etter e-t-t-e-r uh his business is etter tree care um, is he here in San Antonio? He's here in San Antonio. I call him off enough with my own questions that I remember his phone number, which is 210, of course, <laughs> but it's 654 8733. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'll give him a call. Very good. And Yeah. Uh, yeah. And um, I have a, a, another question, real quick. I saw some uh, pretty. Um, let me see, where did I put that? Uh, Esperanza Gold Star and yes. a Cape Honeysuckle. Uh-huh. Can I plant those now? You know, Gold Star Esperanza is certainly the best of the Esperanzas. The Cape Honeysuckle um, is a beautiful plant, but both of those plants are going to freeze if we get a real cold winter. So uh-huh. if I had those or if I purchased those or if somebody gave them to me, I would keep them in containers through the rest of the winter so that I could protect them if it gets really cold and I'd plant them out next spring. I just, okay. uh, you know, we we could have winter move in and stay in a couple of weeks and uh, they wouldn't have had time to really get the roots down to really get established. So tropical plants like that, nah, I'm not going to be putting them out in the weather uh, at this time of year. But 
you know, if you get a good value on them or something, you know, buy them and just uh, grow them as pretty pots on your patio. Bring them inside if we're going to have a hard freeze, and uh, you'll have some nice plants to set out next spring. But you can plant them in the spring, and they won't die if when the cold weather gets here. They will die winter. back. Uh, Cape Honeysuckle and Esperanza both tend to die to the ground if we have any severely cold weather. But I don't remember a year since 1980, what, 85 it got so cold, or 1983. That's the last time I actually saw those plants die. They're, they're good and hardy and normally come back uh, without any problem. Uh, okay. Uh, another uh, quick uh, question. I bought caladium way back in uh, May, yes. and I planted them, uh-huh. and they seem to want to keep growing, but they're kind of still small, mm-hmm. and at times they look like they want to die out. Do Is that because of not enough water, or because no, I try to do it every other day? Yeah, they're probably not getting enough fertilizer. Uh, caladiums, you know, you start out with a, a fair sized little bulb, but unless you're feeding often and by often, I mean, every couple of weeks, that bulb just keeps getting smaller and smaller and smaller to where by this time of the year, they're pretty wimpy and nothing really seems to bring them back. If you plant caladiums next year, if you'll feed them like every two weeks, they'll be bigger and prettier now than they have been all summer. But we all tend to think they're bulbs and they don't need any extra care. But uh, caladiums, unfortunately, unless you feed them often, uh, they are gradually going to decline as we go through this time of year, and they're really not worth trying to save. What should I, I, I feed them with? Oh, gosh, something like Medina's has to grow or their liquid fish fertilizer. Fox Farms makes some good liquid organic fertilizers. Uh, I like the liquid fertilizers better than the dry for um, caladiums, but Espoma, E-S-P-O-M-A, they make a couple of good liquid fertilizers. Any of those organic products are good by me. And you can put them now at that fertilizer and it'll help them? Again, it's awfully late. Um, it, it certainly won't hurt anything, but I don't have a crystal ball to know what the weather's going to do. It certainly will help them some, but I can tell you, if you've been doing this all summer long, you'd have the biggest and prettiest caladiums in the neighborhood. Okay, well, thank you so very much for all your answers and your help. Your questions are great questions, Liz. I appreciate the call. Thank you. Thank you, too. Certainly. Bye-bye. Goodbye. All right, let's take these calls in the order they came in, which means Mike is next, and then Israel, and then Chris. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Bob. I'm not going to ask you how you are, because I know how you are. (laughs) You've already heard it 10 times or 20 (laughs) times or something. Yes, sir. I was wondering, Bob, about that man that called, was it Brian, that had the papayas? I think that might be right. I certainly remember the man with the papayas, but I'm concentrating so hard on... uh, on, on answering the question, I don't always remember the names, Joe. I'm sorry, I mean, Mike. <laughs> Charlie. Charlie, uh, there you go. Uh, I was just wondering, he said he had something like 40 papayas on his plant. He didn't say, no, he said 40 papayas. I suspect he has multiple plants. It would be, I've never seen a papaya with more than uh, four to six papayas on it at one time. So I suspect that he had uh, more than one plant growing out there. I know he had more than one because he had to have at least one male plant to go along with the females. So uh, he probably had a pretty good row of papayas out there. Well, I was just wondering about the 40, but I didn't uh, hear how tall his plants were, how big they were. 
And papayas will start, the Mexican papaya, which is by far the bigger one, uh, will start producing when it's about six or seven feet tall. If it doesn't freeze back, I've seen those down in the Rio Grande Valley that were 20, 25 feet tall. I've seen them that have frozen back to where they were just 10 feet tall, and then they just start growing again. But Mexican papaya makes a, a big, big tropical you know, it's not woody enough to really call it a tree, but um, it makes a good tree-like growth that gets quite large. Yes, I like the papaya to grow them. Uh, the Alamo in their garden behind the Alamo uh, has some beautiful papaya trees. Yeah, they used to grow them back when Mr. Moy, old Yingdun right. Moy, who was just a neat, neat man, um, anyway, he, he always grew uh, the papayas down at the San Antonio Botanical Gardens, and uh, papayas are delicious. The problem with Mexican papaya is you almost have to start the seed inside in the winter because they take about 10 months of growing before they really start to produce. And if you wait and plant your seeds in April, they rarely have time to produce before cold weather arrives the next fall. So anybody really wants to grow papayas, you start your papaya seed in the winter months. You have plants that are three or four feet tall to set out by the time spring arrives and uh, you'll have some good papayas by the end of the summer. Well, okay. Uh, uh, that was a secondary uh, comment I had about the papaya. Yeah. Uh, but I have uh, two other questions. Okay. Uh, one, I had grown a uh, jatropha uh-huh. and, and gave it to my sister-in-law. and I, I didn't even remember I gave her one, but uh, they were down here from uh, the Dallas area and she told me it got so tall that she had to, she cut it back, cut it back, and now it's real bushy. Mm-hmm. Uh, on mine, if I uh, cut it back, I guess it'll get bushy at the bottom. As long as it gets good, bright light. And now realize that there are many different kinds of jatropas. The one you're describing sounds like the one called jatropa hostata, H-A-S-T-A-T-A. And it is a small tropical tree. There is a dwarf version of it that only gets about five feet tall and stays much bushier on its own. And then there's some other plants in that same genus, uh, that are just the weirdest looking things that have a giant bulb, very fleshy bulb and very fleshy stems. So it is one of the more diverse genera of plants out there. But uh, the one that your sister's describing sounds like Jotropa hostata. It's also called peregrine is another name for it. But uh, yeah, it would like to grow 10 or 12 feet tall. You cut it back and it makes a pretty bush. It won't be cold hardy in Dallas, but uh, it'll sure have pretty red flowers uh, if you protect it from freezing. Yeah, the mine in the pots I, I take inside, yep. but the one in the ground, it dies back every year and comes back every year. Yes, I don't think that would happen in Dallas because it gets too cold, but in San Antonio, an area south of San Antonio, uh, they do tend to freeze down and come back out most years, especially if you mulch them in the winter months. Yeah, the uh, uh, back to the papaya. Will it come back, freeze down, and come back? Don't count on it. Uh, kind of depends on how cold it gets. In some years, they will come back, but uh, I, I really wouldn't count on it. Unless I really mulched it or built a greenhouse over it or something like that, I'd always plan on starting some new plants the next year. Better keep it in a pot. Uh, one other thing, I have a banana plant that I got from you, a uh, red banana plant. Mm-hmm. I guess it's uh, Abyssinian. Abyssinian. Yeah. And it's in a large pot not in the ground, but uh, here recently it just kind of laid down. Probably the wind, the cold wind. 
perhaps so. I don't know what I could do about it. Put some uh, rocks or boards or something around it to keep it upright. Well, you can do that, but that particular banana is not real cold hardy. That's one I'd be bringing in pretty soon, and I would move it if you have a place that still gets good sun but doesn't get that strong wind. I would sure move it there because it's kind of a tenderfoot when it comes to cold weather. It's not nearly as hardy as our old green uh, common banana palms are. So will it not come back uh, after it freezes down? If you don't protect it, it probably will not come back. Oh, my goodness. Well, I need a whole Boy Scout troop to move this pot it's in. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's probably a couple of good Scout troops out there to go looking for, Mike. So anyway, you have a great Sunday, and uh, I look forward to talking to you again. Okay, thank you very much. (laughs) Thank you, Charlie. (laughs) Got to have a little fun here. Good morning, Israel. Good morning. How are you? I'm good, sir. How are you this morning? Oh, I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. It sure looks like a beautiful day outside my window. This this is one of those days I wish I was doing a remote broadcast somewhere, but uh, I'll be out in it another hour and 20 minutes. So uh, how can I help you today? Uh, I've got a couple of questions for you. Um, I had asked my employer, and he told me to reach out to you. <laughs> <laughs> Tell him I appreciate so, uh, it. <laughs> um First uh, was uh, banana trees. I was wanting to plant something that you know to try to add some greenery to my backyard, and, and I was thinking uh, something fruitless, but it didn't have to be. But I also wanted something that would you know that wouldn't die every year, or or that would come back every year. Okay, well, your standard green banana tree will freeze down, will come back. If we have a mild winter, if we have a situation where it goes for 10 months without freezing, it may even make a stalk of bananas. They're not going to look like what you get at the grocery store, but you can cut them, you can ripen them, you can actually have some bananas. So I guess that's the good side of bananas. Now, the bad side of bananas is they are a mess. Uh, when they freeze and you cut them down, I don't think I've ever found anything in the plant world that stains as badly as that banana sap does. So you're going to get out in your oldest, most worn-out clothes when it comes time to cut it down and throw it in the compost pile. If the spot that you want to put this gets much wind, those leaves are going to be absolutely shredded most of the time because... Uh, uh, it's it's a plant, it's a tough plant, it's a survivor, but it's just not the prettiest thing you can put in the landscape. But on the other hand, if you want to have a Jimmy Buffett tiki bar out there, then I guess you want to plant some banana trees around to kind of make it look like you're in the tropics. So uh, my point is there that it will grow, but it might not be necessarily the best choice. Uh, you're looking for an evergreen plant. How tall would you like it to be? Do you want it to be, and you want it to have leaves on it probably 12 months out of the year if you're using this for a screen how tall how wide does it need to be and how much sun do you have available in that spot uh, as far as height it, you know maybe just fence line six to eight feet tall okay um and maybe 10 feet wide okay um i was going to do just a section like a, a, a fence panel section uh-huh was uh was my thought just okay. to add some greenery to it because it's so dry and barren back there but drab is that the word you're looking for (laughs) yes how how much as far as the sun it's uh as soon as the sun peaks up over the horizon and goes over the fence it's all day 
Okay. Well, if you're That's ready to if you're ready to write, let me give you some choices that I think would be better than banana okay. palm. Um, they're what we call green pittosporum, P-I-T-C-O-S-P-O-R-U-M, fast growing, evergreen, fragrant flowers in the spring. Not real showy flowers, but very fragrant. And uh, I have one outside my back door. It's probably been there for 80 or 85 years. So this tree is going to, or this shrub is going to live for a while. Um, there are several varieties of a plant called viburnum, V-I-R-V-I-B-U-R-N-U-M, viburnum. Uh, the one that will fit into your size, and these trees are absolutely, or these shrubs are absolutely the easiest thing in the world to grow, and even the deer don't eat them. But there is one that is called viburnum suspensum, S-U-S-P-E-N-S-U-M. Uh, it's sometimes also called Sandanqua, S-A-N-D-A-N-K-W-A. But that would be an easy plant for you to grow there. And both of these are nice evergreen shrubs. If you would like a plant that will grow about four or five feet tall and have pretty white flowers on it all summer, you might want to look at a plant called an abelia, A-B-E-L-I-A. And uh, Abelia grandiflora, there are many varieties. Some of them have colorful foliage. Some of them have green foliage. Most all of them have pretty white flowers through the summer months. The hummingbirds love them, and they do hold their leaves during the winter months, unless it's a super cold winter. Uh, plus, they're super drought tolerant. They're another one of those just easy, easy, easy-to-grow plants. Um, you might want to look at a plant which is called a compact nandina, N-A-N-D-I-N-A, the uh, Nandina compacta grows to about five feet tall. It will have green leaves in the summer months, red leaves in the winter months where it gets that much sun, and then those same leaves turn green again in the spring. So it's always going to have foliage on it. Um, I can go on and on, but those, I'd have to say, are four of my top plants that I I would choose over banana palms. I mean, banana palms are fun, but in your situation, I think there might be some better choices. Okay. And then my last question, the main one, is I had some above-ground planters that I'd, I'd grow some, you know, chili peppers and whatnot uh-huh. in. And I've got uh, three, what I've been told, are cypress trees growing. i got two in my front yard and one in the back. Okay. And uh, one sprouted up out of my planter. Uh-huh. It was about an inch tall when I noticed it, and I, I pulled it out and transplanted it in a small plastic pot. Uh-huh. And now it's about oh nine or ten inches tall. Sure. And I'm I'm I'd like to keep it growing, and, and I'm giving it to a friend of mine to put <laughs> on his property. Okay. But my question is, can I leave it? It's in a small pot, you know, about eight inches tall, maybe six inches diameter. Mm-hmm. I just I don't want to mess up the the root, the tap root or the sure. root system. Yeah. So You're fine. You're fine in that pot for about six or eight months. Uh, if you end up keeping it longer than that, I would move it up to about a 10-inch pot. But you're good. It, your cypress, if it is indeed a cypress tree, either ball cypress or Montezuma cypress, it's not going to grow a lot over the winter months. It's going to grow some more roots. So you're you're good in that pot for another 6, 8, 10 months. Uh, and if it's longer than that before you're able to give it to your friend, then you might want to go to bigger pots. But you're all set for this winter. It's it's going to be next. Yeah, it's going to be next Easter for we're going to be you know talking about whether or not it needs to be transplanted. So you're good for the winter. Just uh, water it whenever it's dry on the surface, and maybe a little liquid fertilizer about once a month. Okay. 
Well, I appreciate it. That's that's all I had. Well, you call me anytime I can help, and uh, tell the boss man thanks for recommending me. It's always good to talk to people that like plants. Yeah, no, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you, Israel. All right, let's get back to uh, gardening. We're going to finish it up with Chris and then Randy. Good morning, Chris. Good morning. How are you doing, sir? Um, I appreciate good. you taking my call. I appreciate you calling. How can I help today? Well, um, I have a, a huge uh, Myers lemon uh, tree or bush, whatever. Very <laughs> good. It's huge. Um, it's it's uh, got lots of lemons on it. It's doing great. But the thing, uh, it's it's on the side of the house and, of course, uh, the fence. And I can't get around it or, you know, it's got those thorns <laughs> and stuff. But, <laughs> but I'm just wondering. Um, actually, I had another question at this. But uh, I was just wondering. Uh, when, when is it safe to trim it up? I, I didn't want to like do it. I don't know if it's safe to do it right before uh, winter rolling around. No, no this would be the worst. It. This would be the worst time to do it. The best time would be in the spring, about the time that it starts to flower. That's the best okay. time to do it, and it also gives you the option that you can leave the limbs that have the most flowers and therefore will have the most fruit, and take out the limbs that are in the way that have the fewest flowers and that way you're still going to get good production next year but you're going to get it back down to a manageable size now typically that's going to be about the end of february so you're off the hook for a little while okay so like uh nipping the outer edges of the branches it's safe to go ahead and do that i i would avoid it if you can because here's what happens when you trim it forces the tree or it causes a tree to start putting out new growth uh it's a matter of when you cut it back even a little bit it concentrates a hormone in the end of the stem that causes buds to break and new growth to come out and that new growth is much more sensitive to freeze damage than the existing growth so we don't want the tree expending a lot of its stored energy to put on growth it's just going to freeze back so uh if you possibly can i mean if you need to Take out a limb or two, it's not the end of the world, but I sure wouldn't do very much pruning at this time of the year. Now, once okay. we get into consistently colder weather, if and when that happens, some years, most years it does, some years it doesn't. But once we really get into winter-type weather, then it's not likely to sprout out, and you could do some light trimming if you want to, because if it gets cold enough, it's, it's just not going to sprout. It's just going to be too cold to sprout. But right now... Looking at 75, 78 degrees for the next several days, that's the kind of weather that tree would try to sprout right back out, and it might be hurt by a freeze. Yeah, it's doing great. It does great every year. Uh, The second question I had is um, we had a a 20 by 10 uh, storage house put out in the backyard, and it's got like three feet uh, behind it along the back side of the fence that goes around. Uh-huh. Uh, we finally were able to clear out the brush because there was no sunlight getting to it. Right. And therefore, there was no grass growing. So it's pretty much dirt now. I think last year I tried to put some seed down and, mm-hmm. you know, a little bit of dirt. It really didn't take too well. Uh, just little guys just kind of came up and that was it. So I was wondering uh, if putting down sod, like getting a pallet, and, no. you know. Uh, you've, you've hit the problem. You, yeah, you've hit the problem right on the head. You just don't have enough sun there for much of anything to do well i would put down a layer of mulch i would maybe put down some uh decayed granite i would uh 
you know, you might want to think about putting some flagstone back there to make a place to, you know, keep a lawnmower to keep something you want to keep out of sight. But I think you're just going to be frustrating yourself to try to grow grass back there because it sounds like it just doesn't have enough light. You're just going to struggle with it. And I just cover that mud up with something that's going to, you know, keep it a usable <laughs> space, whether it's uh, limestone, yeah, whether it's out of there. Yeah. <laughs> with their muddy feet, it's like they well, like constantly and, having to wash their feet off. I'm like, oh, sure. you know. So, and you yeah. can just you just go basically get some free mulch from the city if you want to. Or if you got a tree trimmer in the neighborhood, tell them, hey, come dump some of your trimmings over here. Just put that down. The dogs will love running through it, and uh, but you'll take care of the mud problem. But uh, don't frustrate yourself trying to, you know, try, trying Not to grow sure. something back there because it's too shady, Chris. Awesome. Well, I appreciate your time, sir. Thank you very much. Always a pleasure. And now we finish up with Randy. Good morning, Randy. Good morning, sir. Hope you're having a a good day. Every day is a good day. Some are just better than others, and this is a good day. Good. Uh, About 15 years ago, so I planted some sago palms outside my home, and this was protected by wind. Uh And uh, unbeknownst to me, I didn't know what male or female, but now I do. Earlier this year, the male produced a, a cone-shaped flower, probably right. 12, 15 inches long. Right. The female has this basket. <laughs> and now the, 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 the basket is full of these probably almost golf ball-shaped red seeds. Right. It's gorgeous. I really, I, I was floored by how pretty it is. Is there an easy way to propagate those seeds when they're ready? There is. Uh, do you have pets? Do you have dogs? No, I do not. Okay, no because those seeds are deadly poisonous to dogs. So that's the reason I ask. You want to be sure you don't allow your pets to get into them. But you can take the same kind of soil they sell for cacti and succulents, and Mm -hmm. you plant the seeds. Some of the seeds will sprout within a week or two or three. Some of the seeds will take several months to sprout. So here's what your commercial guys do. They will take a tray and fill it with, uh, they'll take good good cactus and succulent soil, maybe even mix a little extra sand with it, and they will just line up 10, 20, 30, or 90 seeds in a tray. And then as those seeds start to sprout, they start to split open, they start to put on a green one, they pick them out one at a time and put them in their own pots because some of those seeds may not sprout for a year. Um, so right. th- if you're really looking to grow a whole lot of it, you can do that. Uh, the other option, go to a good nursery, and they'll probably just give you a stack of old four-inch pots and just plant one seed per pot, plant it in that good sandy soil, and keep them as warm as you can and as bright as you can. But be aware, some of them are going to sprout very quickly. Some of them it may take a year for them to sprout, but the seeds are still good. They are very slow-growing, but, uh, you know, you've got your Christmas list taken care of for the next 10 years. <laughs> yeah, well, I've I've been amazed how well they've done, and yeah. obviously this is the first time they've ever done this. I planned them fifteen well, years ago, and, and they and, will and, do and, it. And, and, they're mature now, so they'll probably do it every few years.